The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. While you're turning there, check out this list. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hands, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all of the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. These are the property laws of a toddler. But here's the thing, and for many adults today. See, the depravity of man. This is important on the Easter week that we emphasize one thing very clear. There is a reason why Christ died. A very, very clear reason why Christ died. And that reason seems to be avoided by many of us today. The depravity of man. The depravity of man, sin, is very evident at a very young age. Our beloved King David even said in the scriptures that we were sinful from the time we were in our mother's womb. The Apostle Paul says that we are by nature children of wrath. That's, our, that's by nature. That's what we are. Sin is in our very nature. Even from a very young age, we display this depravity. How do you know it's natural for us to sin? Because this toddler list that we have here, did any of us ever have to teach our kids how to do this? We don't have to teach these things. Do you know why? Because they come naturally. It's natural. And unfortunately, unless the power of God regenerates us, causes us to be born again, this nature continues to grow into maturity, and then it becomes a huge problem. We are now adults who throw tantrums who sulk and who take and take and take. See, our total depravity is infectious and it spreads and it continues to destroy, leaving in its wake the continued vandalism of the beautiful creation of Christ through him and for him. See, family, sin is very real. It's clearly there. It just takes a few seconds for us to realize just how much we do it. When we list, if we just do a quick list, list how many times we've actually broken one of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't take very long for us to recognize this. Or how many of us take a couple of seconds to think about the Great Commandment, loving God and loving our neighbor, and just think how fast it is or how many times we broke those commandments last week. Especially when we were stuck in traffic on I-25. Sin is any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. What does that mean? It means any time we are not being or any time we're not doing what God requires... We sin. Anytime we do what God forbids, we sin. Well, Shane, when you put it that way, man, we do it a lot, don't we? The great Princeton theologian, 
Charles Hodge. He writes this. Our guilt is great because our sins are exceedingly numerous. It's not merely outward acts of unkindness and dishonesty with which we are chargeable. Our habitual and characteristic state of mind is evil in the sight of God. Our pride, vanity, and indifference to his will and to the welfare of others, our selfishness, our loving the creature more than the creator, our continuous violations of his holy law, we've never been or done what the law requires us to be and to do. We have never had the delight in divine perfection, that sense of dependence and obligation, that fixed purpose to do the will and promote the glory of God, which constitute the love which is our first and highest duty. This great theologian says, we are always sinners. We are at all times and under all circumstances in opposition to God because we are never what his law requires us to be. If we have never made it our purpose to do his will, if we have never made it his glory in the end of our actions, then our lives, lives have been an unbroken series of transgressions. Our sins are not to be numbered by the conscious volitions of duty. They are as numerous as the moments of our existence. See, Here's the thing. The reason, remember I was talking about all my 30 years of being in ministry. I was all these things that I pondered. The reason why we don't see our violation of God's law, two reasons. We don't understand God's law. And number two, we don't think God is that holy. If we think some of the things we do, if we think God is okay with that, Whoa, we got another thing coming. All you have to do, James makes it very clear, all we've got to do is transgress one, one commandment. And God says that we are as guilty as somebody who's broken them all. That is the holiness of God. That is our God. God's so holy. So righteous, so pure, that even the angels can't look at him. The scriptures are clear on this. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was con consistently and totally evil. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6. But Shane, we do good things for God. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Just in case someone, some of us are thinking, well, Shane, that's the Old Testament. Here's Romans. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3, 12. Romans 3, 12. All have turned away. All have become use, useless. No one does good, not a single one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, going back to the Old Testament, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. It's there, Scripture, making it very, very clear. But we struggle with this today. Why do we struggle with this thing when it's so clear, so plain? God says this is what we do. God says these are the sins that we do. We see that we do them. We see that this happens. We see it, but yet we struggle with it. Why the struggle? Because in our culture, we are, in our cultural thinking, we are still more and more every day, it just seems like, polluted with atheistic 
existential philosophies, and let's not lie to ourselves, we are seeing this thing coming, especially through the media. Atheistic existential philosophies that are coming in, pragmatic ideologies and pragmatism coming in, and because of this, we still see the wickedness and sins that we commit today. But what is more is we continue in our society to reject the gospel. So when we reject the gospel, we're actually rejecting the cure for these sins. But in rejecting the gospel, we still have a problem. We still have the guilt of sin no matter what we do. So the culture today has got an idea. And this has actually been happening for a while, that one. Our culture today, the world today is saying, I got an idea. This will fix the guilt. You know, all the stuff, the bad things that we're doing, this is going to fix it all. How about we call the things that people call sin, let's just not call them sin anymore. Isn't that a great idea? Let's just not call them sin anymore. <laughs> the Bible says that it's sin. Well, let's just not call it sin. Let's just wave our hands like a bunch of Jedis and say, no, it's not. But Shane, this is a sin. No, it's not. Expecting me to go, no, it's not. Remember, it only works on the weak-minded. I'm just kidding. So what we do is we redefine sin to try to make us feel better. Oh, and here's, here, here, here's John. Here's my famous list. A person is not lazy. They're just motivationally dispossessed. A shoplifter is not a thief. He's just a cost-of-living adjustment specialist. A prostitute is not a prostitute. She is a sex care provider. Homosexuality is now called sexual deviancy. Lying is called true statements that are contradictory. Lust is now called admiration. Rebellion is called the exercise of freedom. Pride is now referred to as confidence. Envy is called economic stability. Destruction of property, burning down buildings, vandalism is called peaceful protest. Abortion is called population control. Dishonoring father and mother is now called adolescence. Idolatry is called being spiritual. Drunkenness and being high off of illegal drugs is now being called medicating. I'm just medicating. Guy being a girl, girl being a guy, we call it being non-binary. No need to feel guilty because there's nothing to feel guilty about. But the reality is, if you look at society today, it's still not working. Why is it not working? Because just in case we didn't know this, just in case, here's a bit of truth for us, just in case we didn't know, just because we say it's not so doesn't make it so. Just because we say, no, it's not, doesn't mean that it's not. But, but Shane, we're in the church. It doesn't affect us in the church now, does it? This ideology is also affecting the church. What? I mean, it's just, it, it goes, again, again, it just goes. Why are we so ashamed of the gospel? Why can't we just accept the gospel and embrace the gospel, hold on to the gospel as the greatest news we've ever heard in our entire lives this ideology is affecting the church. And so what happens is we, we do what we refer to as law light. We make the law of God lighter. We don't outright change the law. We just minimize it. The Bible says 
that we are to meditate upon the word of God day and night. Does it not say that? I heard a sermon a couple years ago where a guy goes, well, that's not really what's going to happen. Now, let's just be honest. It's not really what's going to happen. So this is what you do. Why don't you try reading your Bible at least every other day? Or you know what? Why don't you try reading the Bible day and night just on the weekends when you're not so busy? Do the best that you can, and if you do just that much, God will be pleased with your effort. Now, come on, you, tell me you haven't heard that kind of stuff before. And my thought and when I'm listening to this is, no, he's not. God's not going to be pleased with you reading the Bible every other day. God is going to be pleased when you meditate upon his word day and night. This is what we do in the church today. We, we soften. We try to minimize it. One of the things I've heard, too, is, um, have you, you remember the rich young ruler? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Well, Jesus didn't really mean for us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor and to follow him. You don't need to sell everything. This is what you do. Instead of buying a new car, buy a used car. Get your hair done once a month instead of once a week. Eat at McDonald's instead of Tony Roma's. Frank. <laughs> I absolutely, that, that is not in here. You can look at my notes, Frank. It's not in here. I don't know why it just popped into my mind. It just did. Buy clothes at Costco instead of Saks Fifth Avenue. Give money to a charitable organization. Go to church as much as you can. Do that, and God will be happy with you. <laughs> no, he won't. If God wants us to sell everything we have, we're supposed to sell everything we have. Sin is called by evangelicals today, mistakes. Not the best thing for you. Accidents, incidentals, unhelpful variables in life. The sin nature now is being called brokenness. Have you heard that before? They're just brokenness. How do we deal with brokenness? That is absolutely not biblical at all. We are not broken. We are corrupted. Broken means that you can be fixed. Christianity is not about fixing a broken person. Christianity is about resurrecting a dead person. We can't be refurbished. We got to be brand new. And what does Jesus say? Behold, I make all things new. Man, Shane, when you put it that way, the situation is worse than we ever thought. Even in the church, we minimize things. You know what is one of the things that we do today that absolutely, I believe, absolutely minimize and offend God? Do you know when we make the statement, and, and it's, all, it's, it's good intentions, right? What does what is, what is the saying go? That the... Um, that the way to hell is paved with good intentions, right? It's good intentions. I know. I get it. But when people say to me, hey, you know what, Shane? I, I, you know what? I have to make God a priority in my life. I am, today, I am going to make God a priority in my life. Do you realize how absolutely minimizing and offensive that is to say? As if God is something that we're supposed to prioritize. Man does not live on bread alone. Do we prioritize eating? Did you, hey, hey, Shane, Shane, you know what? I decided today. I decided today. I'm going to make breathing a priority. There is no God. There is no life. God is not something to be made a priority. He is 
and just is. We minimize. God's law is God's law. This is, and, and you know when we change these things, because some people will hear me say stuff like this, be like, Shane, man, you, you're so hard on the law, man. You're just, you're just rigid on this stuff, man. You're, you're just like a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee, man. And I get called a Pharisee. But you know the reality is, do you know what the Pharisees were the guilty of doing? They were the ones that were changing the laws of God to make it livable, like to make it so that they could do it. Isn't that funny? The people that are changing the laws are accusing me of being a Pharisee when they're the ones that are doing what the Pharisees did. Well, Shane, what do you mean by that? Because Jesus came back and said, you have heard it said. But I tell you, you know what he was doing? He was fixing all the things that the Pharisees had changed. But being aware of this is the first step towards hope. Thomas Brooks, famous Puritan, said this. The first step toward heaven is to see ourselves near hell. Family, remember, I'm just being a doctor. I'm being a doctor who's honest with, with you. We're just being honest today. We have a terminal disease. It's called sin. But I got good news for you today. There is a cure. And I get to tell you about it. And we'll see it vividly today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. The word of the Lord, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless. Did you guys hear that? Holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth. Stand firmly on it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached over the world, all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that it penetrates our hearts today. It accomplishes your purpose. And God, help us to walk in step with the truth of the gospel. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes today, just two things. Number one, today we're going to look at what it means to be by nature enemies of God separated by our thoughts and actions. And the second thing we will explore is this wonderful peace and reconciliation that we have through the death of Christ. So here's the thesis statement. Um, remember, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin, the pattern of this world, and the deceptions of false teachers cause us to minimize in our minds the true atrocities of sin... It is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will shed light on the reality of the disease of sin, but also gives us hope in the revelation of the cure, the gospel of Jesus. Now watch it, guys. I promise. I'm promising you. I'm promising you. If we get this, we see this, we allow sin, the, 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 the reality of sin to sting us, it, the gospel is going to feel so much better today. Watch. I promise you. The, uh, number one, point number one, enemies of God. Enemies in our thoughts and actions. What we see here in verse 21 is that Paul is describing the, to the Colossian uh, Christians what they were before they became Christians. Okay, so this is what you were before you became a Christian. Now, this sheds a lot on what we are like by nature, number one. It also sheds light on why unbelievers act the way they do in the world, okay? So it's like, you know, I think sometimes when we look at unbelievers, we kind of expect certain things from them, right? And it's like, 
you know, Shane, you know, my, my friend, he believes in abortion, all of that kind of stuff. Well, is he a Christian? No, he's an unbeliever. Well, then bad root makes bad fruit, right? <laughs> so it shows. So this is what Paul is going to show. How bad is the situation? He reminds them of the great change that took place when we became Christians. So today, we, Christian, Paul is reminding us of what we were like before we became Christians. There was a great change, a great change that took place. The unusually strong Greek word here, I won't tell you what it is, but it's translated alienated. This is to be a reminder of what you left from and hopefully you will not desire to go back to. <laughs> alienated. Fall back. You don't want to fall back to your former life in Christ before Christ because if you do, you're going to be in the position of being alienated from God. Alienation is being far away from God. We were in isolation. We were in loneliness. You know, in a sense of not belonging, the sense is not belonging to God. In other words, we were outside of the sphere of God's blessing. That's where we were. You're outside. You were cast out. You sat by yourself in the lunch hall at school. Isolated. Any of you guys ever experienced that? Any of you guys ever knew the new kid in school? Like ever went to a new school? Man, I went to many a new, my dad was in hotel. He got transferred all the time. So I was new kid in school all the time. I'll tell you what was the most terrifying moment of school, the school day. Lunchtime. Now you got to eat in the hall, walk out of the cafeteria with your food, and you got all these people sitting on the tables, and you're like, where am I supposed to sit? I don't know anybody at the school. Terrified. Very terrified. You feel very lonely. You feel very isolated. It's not, it doesn't feel good to be the new kid in school. You know, and, and it, was, it was hard. It's a couple of schools. It was very, very difficult for me to make friends at the time. So it was very difficult. So that's, that's why for me, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always attracted to the new people and try to make the new people feel comfortable, you know. And that's, that's, just, that's just how I am, you know. But, but, you know, the reality is, family, is that you reap what you sow. What, what, what do I mean by that? <laughs> because when I was in elementary school, there was, and, and for me, you got to understand that my very first experience of going to a new school happened when I was a, a kid in Hawaii with shorts, t-shirts, you know, candy still on my face, and we moved to Palm Beach, Florida. If you don't know what Palm Beach, Florida is, it's essentially the Beverly Hills of Florida. So we moved to Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm riding my bike to school, and all my classmates are, you know, pulling up in limousines and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just so it was a culture thing. So not only was just a cult, it was a it was a bad culture thing. So it felt very isolated because not only was I the new kid in school, didn't know anything. This was a different culture for me. This was a different world. And when I was in elementary school, there was. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I, I'm I'm just confessing my sins right now to all of you. When I was young. Before I, I was a Christian, there's this girl from Vietnam. She moved from Vietnam to Hawaii. And so she came to the school because that's the law, right? You had, to do, you had to do that. Anyway, so she didn't speak any English, like no English at all, right? So, <laughs> can't believe I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> she didn't speak any English at all, right? I, I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you. I got to get it off my chest, okay? Okay, thank you, Frank. So she didn't speak any English at all. So the whole time, it just, this, there was one kid that was there. He was Laotian, grew up Laotian, you know, so he's trying to talk to her, and she's nodding her head. She doesn't understand. Guys, that, the year before that year, I went to summer school, and my best friend at the time at summer school was from Vietnam. And all he did was teach me Vietnamese cuss words. <laughs> all the bad words in Vietnamese. So every time I would walk by, the girls walking over here, every walk by, I would just, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> I would say it, and she would have this horrified look on her face, like, and walk, every time I saw her, so the whole year, she always, every time I walk by her, she's always, 
That's why I was punished the way I was. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? Oh, gosh, I can't believe I did that to her. I'm just, I'm just waiting. One day I'm going to meet her and I get to apologize. I am so sorry. You know, hopefully she understands English by now, but I'm so sorry for, for that. That was horrible. Alienated, loneliness, set apart from God. And here's the thing. Paul said that they were also enemies. So you were alienated from God because you were an enemy of God. Hostile in your thoughts and your actions. So look at it this way. You sat by yourself at, in the lunch hall not because you were the new kid in school and nobody knew you, but you sat by yourself in the lunch hall because everybody hated you. Oh, that makes it even worse, doesn't it? Way worse. Way worse. Because you were their enemy. We were seen as enemies of God. Before we became Christians, we were seen as an enemy of God. Enemies with the living God, hostile toward him. See, don't you see why there's hostility toward Christ in the world today? Because it's not like the world is neutral to God. The world, those of us, or those of us humans who are not Christians, who are unbelievers, we are, by nature, enemies of God. Enemies hostile to him in our thoughts and our actions. Hostile and rebellious toward the Lord in our thoughts and our actions. Now, any time in the Greek you see a dianoia and ergon put together, thoughts and actions, Paul is using these two words to basically make one thing very clear. He's talking about the totality of us as humans. Not just a part of us, but all of us. When he says your thoughts and actions, that means all of us. The hostility is the entire life of the individual. Paul is saying before we were Christians, everything about us was hostile toward God. In this sense, mind and action are intertwined. The depravity of our actions has an effect on the mind, and the mind will have an effect on our actions. The mind gets worse. The actions get worse. The actions get worse. The mind gets worse. It's the totality of our being. If we're not sinning when we are doing, then we're sinning when we're just thinking. What, Shane? Are you talking about just thinking? For real? That's a sin, just thinking? Sin even in our minds? Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Not talking about the actions. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's the extent. That's the reality of it. Remember, remember I told you guys the time, uh, the story about the time that I, um, I was really young, where I really believe I became a Christian, was the time that my grandmother told me that if I even think bad words, that I was going to go to hell, that that's sinful, and that you're going to get punished for that? You ever try, as a kid, not thinking about something? And I remember, I'm like, I had the, these bad words in my head. I kept trying really hard not to think of these bad words. I don't want to think about these bad words. I don't think about these bad words. The whole day, I'm trying not to think about these bad words. And I just kept thinking about the bad words. So I remember I was in the shower, and I'm trying not to think. I'm thinking, you know, take a cold shower, right? You don't think about bad words. I'm thinking, it's not working. And I remember at that moment, I said, God, I cannot stop sinning. I need you to help me and save me from this. Wow, in the shower, I just, that, that, those are the words essentially that came out of my mouth. Does that not sound like what Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, these people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. But Shane, come on, bro. Come on, bro. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. 
Come on. You guys haven't heard that before? How many of you guys said that to, the ki to your kids? All right, good. Man, Shane, I got rid of my TV, dude. I don't watch TV anymore, man. I don't listen to the radio no more. I don't lie or cheat on my spouse. I, I don't flip people off in traffic. I don't steal from the workplace. Man, I don't cuss. I can't even remember the last time I said a bad word. I don't get angry. I say no to porno. And I say no to drugs. I say no to putting eggs on my brain. I say no. I hear that. And that's great. But I hate to say this. That's the easy stuff. That's the easy stuff, seriously. Well, you know how easy it is for me to just walk into my house, unplug my TV, take my TV, throw it in the trash can? Some people are like, that's easy? Shane don't know me too well, does he? My question is, how are we doing with the sins in our mind. This is the battle for us today. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with envy? How are we doing with jealousy? How are we doing with pride? You know, because pride is not one of those things you can just unplug and take to the trash can. You know, sometimes we look at these kinds of sins as if some kind of light switch. Well, all I got to do is I can turn it on and I can turn it off anytime that I want to. No, you can't. You know why? Because if you could, you would. What about arrogance? What about lust? What about lust? What about greed? What about selfishness? Here's the big one. What about unforgiveness? What about resentment? How are we doing with indifference? How are we doing when it comes to hatred? Here's the big one. How are we doing when we are supposed to be taking our thoughts captive? See, it's different. It's different when it comes to the sins in the heart. You know, not watching, not watching TV, that's a lot easier than trying to rid ourselves from hatred in our heart from that person who just ruined your life. Trying to rid ourselves from unforgiveness, from the way my parents, or some people might say, or the way my mom raised me. Therefore, there's this, I, I, I can't forgive her for that. I hear, I hear Christians say this a lot. Shane, you know what? I, I get it. I know I'm supposed to, sin, to forgive, but I can't forgive her. Well, you need to. I can't. Yeah. The unforgiveness is one of those things, Matt, really hard. To have to deal with, isn't it? You're burning with hatred, getting eaten alive by unforgiveness inside. But you stop watching late night TV. Hmm. See, there's hostility toward God in our minds as well. See, we may not have committed the actual act of adultery. But did you know that Jesus said that even if you didn't do the actual act, if you look lustfully upon the woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. And do you know what that's gonna, that, that means? That means God looks at you and holds the sin of adultery against you. But I didn't do anything. You look lustfully upon a woman. That's committing adultery in your heart. See, this, this is what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees are saying, hey, you, you don't commit adultery, just don't do it, and you're good. Jesus is saying, no. If they taught you that and told you that, they are wrong. It also means adultery can happen in your heart, and God will hold that against you. Amazing. This is how deep things go. Sin. It's a sin. It's, it's a trespass. I, I was watching... There's so many of these superhero movies that are out, and, and this past week I'm watching one of them. I can't remember which one it was, but the one person was talking about judgment and judgment that uh, somebody is making upon an individual, 
And, and he goes, you know, how can you judge a person on what's happening on the inside? He says, I think about killing my boss all the time. But I don't actually do it. So how can you judge me for that? And I said, yeah, maybe in the court of law in our country, it's not against the law necessarily for you to think about killing your boss. But it's different in the court of heaven. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Ah, God is going to hold us accountable for the hatred we have in our minds, in our hearts. Being a murderer in our hearts and minds is a sin. Our hearts and minds are minefields of sin and hostility towards God. It's not just actions. It's our thoughts as well. It's our motivations and our desires. Paul and Timothy is making clear that our lives by nature in totality is hostile toward God. We are indeed enemies toward God. We are outside of, by nature, outside of his blessing. We are by nature alienated from God, separated from him. A serious, serious situation. Serious. But Paul and Timothy want to make something else abundantly clear. Got that? Yeah, we were separated from God. We were enemies of God. We transgressed God's laws by our thoughts and actions with utter hostility. By nature, we were outside of the sphere of the blessing of God. And family, as we saw before in Colossians, there's no worse place to be. No worse place to be than to be separated from God, to be outside of his sphere of blessing. No worse place to be. Because remember, God is not just, Christianity is not just a way of life, right? I, I think sometimes we approach Christianity as this is the way I have chosen to live my life. These people have their way. These people have tried their way. This is their way. Christianity is just a way that works for me. A lot of people think that Christianity is just a way of life. Now, Christianity is life, meaning that there is no life apart from Christ. So we're separated, alienated. But let me tell you something. Paul and Timothy saying, let me tell you something here, family. Our God is wonderful and more than marvelous. He is full of grace and abounding in steadfast love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. His grace is so amazing. His mercy is so much more. Shane, how do you know this? Because the Bible says that he reconciled us to Christ by the death of the Son of God. He sent his Son, his Son, his Son into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. And because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sin. And because his blood was acceptable to God and God was satisfied, Jesus rose from the grave family. It is finished. And, and watch this. Watch this. This, gets so much, this is where it gets really good. Not only are we reconciled to him and no longer separated from him, no longer outside of the sphere of blessings of God, we're in his presence. And, and more specifically, family, let me say this, more specifically, the Bible constantly talks about us as Christians being in Christ. There is no way to get closer to somebody 
than to be in them. Seriously. So we were separated. Now we are as close to God as anyone can possibly be. You can't get closer to God than we already are. This is how awesome this is. You saw how bad it was? You saw how alienated we were? And now God, through the blood of Christ, is bringing us to a place where we are closer to him than you could ever possibly be. And not only that, he is now going to call us holy and blameless. Now think about all the things that we've done. Think about all the sins that we've committed. Think about all that stuff. And because the blood covers us, family, today, he looks at us and says, holy and blameless. How in the world can this be? All the things I've done. All the things I've done. See, here's the thing. The reason why we struggle with this, like all the things I have done in my life, Shane, and God is going to look at me and call me holy and blameless, and he's, he's, he's going to look at me and say that, Shane, I'm looking at you, and you are without one solitary single fault. How is that possible? The reason why we struggle with this is because we focus on what we do that's wrong. It's always, it's always us, right? We always look and say, look at how bad I am. How can this be? Look at how bad I am. How can this be? Do you know why I can say this? Do you know why God can say this? Because it's not about how bad you are. It's about how awesome the blood of Christ is. It is so amazing, so awesome, so pure, so perfect that if you're washed with it, God is going to look at you and say, holy, blameless, no fault. Not just for you, but for everybody that's a Christian. See, we focus on how bad this is when we should be focusing about how awesome he is. Look at how awesome Christ is. Christ's death is everything. All the awful things we thought and done in our lives because of the death of Christ in his physical body, we stand right now before God without one single solitary fault. How awesome is the death of Christ? How wonderful is the sacrifice? Oh, man, we can't allow the false teachers then and the false teachers today to ruin this for us, family. Don't let it ruin us. The word of God declares that you must believe this truth, that you've got to stand firmly on it. This is why we can't be tolerant of this false stuff that's going around. Because it causes people to lose sight of this beautiful truth. And Paul in Colossians here, it's warning us. It's giving us a warning. Don't let go of this. Don't follow after their teaching. Stay with the gospel of Jesus. Don't drift from this. We received a wonderful assurance from the truth of the gospel. We cannot fall away from this. We cannot drift away from this. This is a warning of the Holy Spirit. You were in a really, really, really bad place before Christ. And he has done something so astonishing for us. Do you really want to go back to the way things were? Don't be deceived. There is no way to get to get this blessing apart from Christ. He is supreme. Christ is sufficient. And there are no substitutes. Christ is the living God made flesh. The image of God. And he came to reconcile us to himself. Yes, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. 
by his wounds, you are healed. And the promises continue, family. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today we see that in reality, here's the reality, we are worse than we think we are. Let's get it. Let's get this straight. We are worse than we think we are. But when we listen and hear the gospel, we realize that God's grace is greater than we could have ever imagined. That someone who has done so much that the blood of Christ can cover it all in such a way where God looks at us and says, holy, blameless, without one single solitary fault. When we struggle with that, family, I, and I do this too, myself, and I start to sh struggle with the things that I've done or things that I think and, you know, all the stuff that, that's happening, especially after I get done watching the news sometimes, I'm just thinking these bad things and it's just like, God, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I think about it and I just start to fall into condemnation, you know, and I just start to feel bad. I'm just like, man, Shane, what is the deal? Are you even a Christian? You know, blah, 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 all this stuff. You just start to go, your mind starts to play these things. And I think about this stuff. Shane, stop thinking about how bad we are and start thinking about how awesome the blood of Christ is. Do you realize that when we do this, we're minimizing the purity and the power of the blood of Christ when we think that? That's why the Bible says this very clear. And I want to say this to you, and you say this to yourself when you're feeling a bad thing. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. Don't ever do it. It minimizes the power of the blood of Christ. Sin is real, but so is the love of God. Christ is God. Christ is man. The God-man reconciled us to himself by his death. And the death was so magnificent and worthy that all of us holding on to the true faith will be covered by the blood of Jesus and will stand before God without one single solitary fault. And you tell me there's no such thing as miracles? That is an absolute miracle that we can stand before God today. And he looks at us and says... There's no fault. And this is a miracle, family, that we don't just celebrate during the Easter season. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Because, family, as Christians, every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday. As Christians, every day is Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.